Hey Talking Cars fans, we're going to the 2018 Los Angeles Auto Show and we want to hang out with you, our podcast audience, while we're there. We're hosting a meetup at the Arts District Brewing Company on Wednesday, November 28th from 7 to 9 p.m. Come join us and we'll talk about cars, including our favorites from the show. So send us a text or an email to TalkingCars at iCloud.com to let us know if you can attend. Hope to see you there. We answer audience questions next on Talking Cars. Hey, we're back. I'm Keith Barry. I'm Mike Quincy. And I'm Mike Monticello. And this week we are dipping into the mailbag. We are getting through all the great questions that you folks are sending to us. TalkingCars at iCloud.com. If you don't hear your question answered today, don't fret. We've got a lot more opportunities in the future to, uh, to go back to the mailbag and dig, dig a little deeper and find your questions. So send us your questions. We'll, we might make you famous and answer them. Like, first up, John from Norton. He has a question about reliability and he sent in a video question. Do the reliability ratings for all the different years of cars only account for the past year of problems reported, disregarding all prior years? The reason I ask you is because I just happened to look at, say, um, Ford Mustang's 2012 model years. Last year, it was rated as well below average reliability. And now this year, with the latest reliability data that was just released last month, it's now improved all the way up to above average reliability. So how did the reliability of a six-year-old car improves so much in one year and does it have to do with sample size because maybe there's not a lot of responders to the um to the survey that have mustangs thanks a lot appreciate it first of all norton i've lived near there uh the chateau one of my favorite kind of red sauce italian restaurants get the toasted ravioli play some kino look at the lake it's you got yourself a saturday afternoon uh, second of all we actually reached in deep into our brain trust uh, and talk to Steve Ellick, one of our statisticians. Brain trust meaning he's a lot smarter than us. Yeah, a lot right. smarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, stats was never my, was never my <laughs> forte. Uh, but it is his, and, and he explained this one to us, and he explained it to you too, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to used car reliability, um, it, it's, the, the basic thing you need to know about how we do this at Consumer Reports is that every year it changes. Every year we ask our members for their experiences with their cars over the last 12 months. We ask them about any problems uh, that, that, uh, that was, they considered serious that uh, had to do with uh, cost, failure, safety, or downtime. Uh, obviously, we, we weight uh, certain trouble spots heavier than others, like engines, transmissions, things like that. And for, for the Mustang, it was more, it was sort of body trim, things, leaks, things right. that might be related to the fact that it comes in a convertible. Right. It, it, yeah. Mustang has different body styles, yeah. lots of different engines. Uh, mm. This, You know, for a lot of people, this is a sporty car, could be driven hard. Mm -hmm. um, so um, while it, it does look a little odd, I suppose, when one year it's reliable next year it isn't reliable that's the way the data rolls mm. it may also be i mean i talked to steve mentioned that that interestingly that um the same issues showed up in 2013 models uh this year that the 2012 had last year so right. it may just be that at a certain point the mustang gets a little expensive and then it's fine again yeah and um, it, and, it, and steve also said because i talked to him too yeah it's always tied to the average of that model year yeah so you know that's that's to put it all in perspective all right, so hope that answers your question. Uh, all right, next up we have a question about a battery in a Civic that's giving uh, Kalechi problems in Chicago. My best friend 
its car would not start a few days ago. This is actually not the first time that it's happened. And um, they told him again that it was a problem with the battery. And when he asked why this would happen um, twice in the course of less than 15 months of having owned the car, they told him that it's not uncommon for them to sell new cars to customers with batteries that would fail soon. When he asked why the battery they're replacing died so quickly, they said that um, they don't know how old um, that battery was. Um, he bought this car brand new, um, plus it's a Honda, um, which is supposed to be reliable. And this story kind of sounds a little fishy to me, but what do you think that he should do and what should his next steps be? All right, that is that is a tough one. I, I mean, I think first off, we need we need a little more information, uh, but with with the battery b being replaced twice. Well, I mean, it's tough that it's not it's not his car. It's, so yeah. it's you know he's getting the information from his friend as far as what's really happening, but I mean it's. Uh, it's not common for dealers mm. to sell a car with a battery that, um, you know, is, is almost dead. You know, like yeah. I've, we bought tons of cars and we, sure. we've never, I don't think we've ever had that happen. We also, we reached out to, to one of our battery testers and also our battery uh, analyst and they both kind of said the same thing. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, what, you know, his friend can do is, uh, first of all, you know, batteries have a date stamp. So mm. what you want to do is find the date stamp. They're actually not easy to find. Usually, uh, it's it's a little stamp of numbers somewhere on the, usually on the side of the battery, and it, it corresponds. It's like usually a letter and then a number. So, like the letter would be A is January, B is February, and then there's a number which corresponds to the year. So, uh, one thing would be to just have a if if his friend can't find that date stamp, then have a mechanic find that date stamp because then we can find out how old is this battery. All right, mm -hmm. it, but it, it's 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 a tough spot because it is a relatively new car, and and you know kind of the advice that I imagine you know, he should get is insist on a new battery. Yeah. yeah, absolutely insist on it. This is covered under the vehicle's warranty uh, vehicle. This new shouldn't be having these issues. I mean, so. it sounds like that for that second dealer threw the first dealer under the bus. Absolutely, right. which is yeah. really strange. Yeah, yeah. I know? mean, it could be that they just jumped it and said, we gave you a new battery. Right. But uh, we, we don't have that information. The right. other thing we were talking about is that sometimes there are, you know, sometimes a car will get uh, accessories installed at the dealer before it's sold. And if those are installed improperly, they can be a drain on the battery. Mm -hmm. So if he bought it brand new, uh, or she bought it brand new, uh, that, that there may be like an alarm system or something that was put in or an engine immobilizer right. that's drawing. Because, right? because a, a, even a brand new battery isn't gonna, is, gonna, is not going to fix that. Exactly. Right. And if this keeps happening, it could be something wrong with the charging system in the car yep. as well. Mm -hmm. So I guess go back to the dealer that you trust. Right. And, you know, don't just talk to the service writer too. Sometimes they'll bring out the actual mechanic and they'll see what happens. All right, cool. So I hope that helps. Next question is from Pittsburgh. Uh, Jake has uh, Jake has some questions about tires. This is my mom's 2015 Subaru Outback. Um, I got her Nokian WRG3s. And as you can see here, after 13,000 miles, it's down to the four on the treadwear marker. And the dealership said that they did not do treadwear warranties and haven't for 45 years that they've been open. So how can I then get a prorated warranty on these tires that lasted 13 and a half thousand miles that should have lasted 55,000 miles? And then the follow-up, what would be better than these WRG3s that would provide good all-year-round performance, give us a quiet ride, um, and would last a little bit longer than the originals would? Thanks so much. Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, so the tires wore out prematurely, and it seems really like 
like you, you really know a lot about tires. It we does. we went and Impressive, talked to someone actually. else who knows a lot about tires. Yeah. What, we can't answer our own questions. We have to go to battery experts, we have tire experts. What are we doing here? Well, I mean, we're lucky we have Jen Stockberger on staff who is, you know, not only in charge of our whole facility here, but she's, you know, a tire used to be a tire engineer back in her day, and, and now she oversees the tire program here. Uh, so we've never heard of a reta tire retailer not honoring a treadwear warranty, first of all. That's, that's the first thing. So usually the way this would work is the tire retailer would be the go-between between you and the tire manufacturer. So in this case, since the tire retailer is saying that they don't honor treadwear warranties, then he's going to have to go directly to the tire manufacturer Mm -hmm. and and try and see if you know what he can get out of this warranty because uh but you know tire warranties are a little strange they're prorated it may be a problem he might have to show documentation that he rotated the tires he might have to and if he wants to go with a different manufacturer he may you know if tire when he replaces these he may be plumb out of luck in terms of that so yeah. and, and being a subaru all-wheel drive they have a special way that they rotate the tires yeah and, right so, so uh, but what Jen said was, um, you know, that we do have some other tire recommendations if he wants to try something different. You know, the Michelin Cross Climate Plus, you know, these are all weather tires, first of all. These are, you know, uh, uh, not just all seasons. These are the tires that are a little bit better in snow. So they have the snowflake symbol exactly. on them. And, yeah. So uh, she'd recommend Michelin Cross Climate Plus uh, or the Goodyear Assurance Weather Ready, both of which have higher treadwear ratings in our testing uh, than the... Uh, than the uh, WRG3. So right. that's that's a recommendation there. And also, but try and see what you can get out of the tire manufacturer first. And, and on our, our website, consumerreports.org, we've got a ton tons of tire, of tire, tons of tire It's pretty awesome, yeah. actually. Yeah. 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 All right, good luck. So uh, video questions are done, so you're gonna have to listen to me read the rest <laughs> of the questions. If you don't wanna have to listen to me struggle through these, send a video question. We'll put your face, make you famous, put you on YouTube. Um, the first question is from Benny in Quebec. Penny in Quebec. Oh my gosh. What? Did, did that Sorry. just happen? Did Sorry. that just happen? Sorry. I, I couldn't, I that couldn't, was awesome. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. <laughs> oh, it's okay. awesome because it drives Dave in. Moving All on. right. Okay. Sorry. Uh, that's going to get cut. <laughs> Benny lives in Quebec and it drives over more potholes than smooth pavement. He says, I never felt it was a problem until I became a father three months ago. I wish I could iron out every road imperfection to keep my son happy in his car seat. <laughs> Currently, I drive a 2008 Subaru Impreza. Can you recommend a car? that has a comfortable ride and the lowest noise level. Other requirements are all-wheel drive, active safety features, normal ride height, and a non-luxury brand. Reading what I just wrote, I feel like I shouldn't have laughed at my father for buying that boring E-Class 20 years ago. That car was so comfy. <sighs> boring E-Class is still pretty nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the roads in Quebec are, are rough, right? They are rough. So, uh, folks, gentlemen, what do you think? I, I, got, I got a good one. I okay. just like that he called us gentlemen. It's first. a winner, yeah, really. <clears throat> I hope you didn't steal mine. Uh, I, I don't know. Hopefully, um, I would go with a a new Volkswagen Golf All Track Wagon. Mm. Uh, it checks about all those boxes. Uh, it did well in Consumer Reports testing. Pretty quiet, pretty comfortable, all wheel drive. Uh, just a hint of sportiness. It's got the hatchback design. Great, you know, when you're loading up baby stuff, strollers and whatnot. Uh, I totally get where you're coming from. You want to, the kid isn't sleeping. You got to get it and mm. put him in the car, go for a ride so mom can get a little rest. Totally get where you're coming from. Been a, been a while since my kids were that young. So I totally understand why you'd want a car that might help to rock your little boy like to sleep. It. Or so yeah. Benny can get some rest. Yeah. 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 Uh, my recommendation is the Buick Regal Torex. 
good one. Which is a weird, weird car. Uh, it's basically a Buick Regal station that's, wagon. That's how you sell it. It's well, no, but it's, it's, it's a weird but it's car. Great. But it looks, it, <laughs> it I think it looks, looks really, really cool. cool. It's got totally the long agree. roof, yeah. the profile. Yep. You're not going to see another one on the road. Mm -hmm. And also, because of this sort of bias against station wagons, you can find used ones, like just, you know, just barely used. Mm -hmm. You can find some incredible discounts on them. Uh, even new ones. I mean, they're putting a lot of money on these cars to move them off the lot, and they look great. All-wheel drive. The only thing is you sometimes have to step up to a higher option package for the active safety features on that. But it is smooth. It is comfortable. It's one of my favorite cars when I'm driving long distances. Totally. So, yeah, that's my, that's my choice. Does anyone care about my opinion? I, yeah. Gonna, oh, yeah. What you got? So I got, I gave him two because I like to give people more for the money. <laughs> uh, we weren't told just one choice. So uh, I went with uh, Mazda CX-5 because it scores very well in both... Um, uh, ride comfort and noise, standard forward collision warning, automatic emergency braking. Sorry, in Canadian that's pronounced Mazda. 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 <laughs> um, and then also Ford Fusion. Because, see, I was a little confused by, you know, Benny said normal ride height. And I didn't know if that meant easy step-in height, like in a small SUV, like the Mazda CX-5, or meaning a car ride height, meaning, you know, lower to the ground. So I wasn't sure. So I wanted to give them a car as well, Ford Fusion because that scores really well in ride, right. and uh, also well in noise. You can get an all-wheel drive, standard forward collision warning, automatic emergency braking. And you probably get it, get them for a song. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. there are some choices for you. Right. Cool. Question number two is from Lawrence. Uh, he says he's a bicyclist and a, and a pedestrian, and notices that an increasing number of drivers are heavily tinting their side and rear windows to the point where their windows just appear pitch black. Uh, and he can't make eye contact with these drivers. At most, he can see the glow of their cell phone screens. Have you driven cars with these heavily tinted windows, and how does it affect outward vision, particularly at night? And do you consider such tinting safe? Well, we're with you, because eye contact is one of those, you know, you're going into a rotary, you see someone at a crosswalk, that eye contact with the driver is so important, especially, you know, when you're on your bike, right? Yeah. We can't get through talking cars without talking about bikes. Well, yeah. and, and not just, not just uh, when you're on a bicycle or a pedestrian, but also when you're driving. Yeah. You, you want to be able to see what that, you know, make the eye contact with a person. And there's laws in most states, and they're all over the place right. as far as the mm -hmm. window tinting. So I looked up on AAA's website uh, what some of these laws are. And like I said, they're all over the place. The most common number I saw was you need to have at least 70% light transmittance. Um, and for instance, in Connecticut, it's actually a law that um, you have to have a legible sticker on your car that says your car has complied with tinting laws. Oh, jeez, uh, I which I thought was that. interesting. But the bottom line is, we don't like them. Right. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's dangerous. Mm. For, but but for the, many the question is, you know, have we driven that? They don't come have, from. Yeah. They don't right. come from I have, the factory. I haven't driven way. a car with that dark of a. Well, tent, right. So with with the, yeah. the test cars that we buy, they don't. They don't right. come with those. We like to comply tinted. with state law. Right. Here, right. We do. So, yeah. Every yeah. once in a while. All right. Moving on. Hey, Les. Uh, Les says, "Hey, CR. Great show. <laughs> I look forward to it each week." Last year, when I bought my car, the dealership had a no-haggle policy. This seems to be more common now. Is it a trend? Do you think it's good for consumers or just a ruse? Well, Les doesn't want to pay more. I can say it is It is not a new trend. Not a new thing. <laughs> I, was, I was doing some research on an article I wrote about this just recently, and I found a 1993 edition of CR where we said, these no-haggle dealerships are going to be the next big thing, and Saturn is coming out with this pricing policy. And, and honestly, it's just a way for 
you know, dealers to once again sort of take advantage of people. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, well, I, I haven't heard of that many no haggle dealerships. Mm. I mean, most of the time we call up a dealership or we, when we're buying our test cars and we tell them uh, we, we, we actually haggle over the price. Sometimes they'll say, oh, we can't, you know, deal on that price. But it's not, it's because they're like, well, this is the first one on a lot. It's not mm. that they have a no haggling policy. It's just they just don't want to deal. These, so these are to, getting growing in popularity. Right. Well, CarMax for sure, you know, yeah, used right. car places for sure. But I mean, as far as the Saturn thing, I had an ex-girlfriend who her first brand new car was a Saturn. You know, this was years ago. This was a second gen Saturn. And it was one of the easiest, maybe the easiest dealership experience of mm. my life because there was no haggling. She just picked out the color, uh, went in and bought the car. But and one of the problems, one of the reasons it failed for Saturn is that the dealers weren't abiding by this yeah. no haggle policy. So you go to the Saturn dealer up the street right. and they say no haggle and right. then you know they have a thousand SL1s on the lot. I mean it, it's good in theory, right. but but mm. but supply and demand is still going to take yeah. over. And, and, and one if, caveat, used cars are a little different because yeah. used cars people, you know, I know what I got. These dealers know what they have and sometimes you'll just see a car just stick with a with it with the same price for a couple of months and they they know what they have. They know what they'll sell it for and they know someone's going to come in and pay for it. So a used car, it's a little different than a new car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, one other piece of advice, if it says no haggle, still ask. Yeah. Can't hurt Might to ask. Well. Yeah. Next question is about Teslas. Hey, CR, great show. I look forward to it each week. Uh, nope, that's not the right one. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Next question is about Teslas. I really mm -hmm. want to thank you for all your work that makes our life easier in the long run and the short run. Thank you. That's very nice. I want to buy a Tesla, but I don't want a bare bones base model without any options. For around 50,000 to 55,000, what would you recommend? A new Model 3 or a used Model S? Well, you don't have to worry about getting a bare bones Model 3 because you can't right now. <laughs> yeah. Good luck so. with that. And you also can't get the tax credit, the full right. $7,500 on the Model 3 bummer. anymore, which yeah. is a bit of a bummer. So, right. what do you so, think? So, uh, you know, I would say probably go with a, uh, uh, you know, a used Model S, you know, if you can go with a 2015 you know, it should be pretty close to that $55,000 mark. You should be able to find some around there, maybe a 56, 57. Uh, you know, uh, what about good, reliability? Good, good reliability, not mm. great reliability back then. And the nice thing is the Model S is a little bigger than the Model 3. So you have, you know, the Model 3's rear seat is pretty tight. It's got the full dashboard. It's very fast. It has, mm. uh, controls make a little more sense. So that's, I would say go with that. You, you know? agree? Yeah. Uh, honestly, I would say get a used Prius. <laughs> I, what? Crazy, boring. Well, you but know, I was going to say something. If you wait a few, if you wait a few months, <coughs> there are going to be some really good cars, exactly. electric cars, coming out with 200 plus mile range. The, the Hyundai Kona EV yeah. is coming out, and it has that 250 mile range. So maybe wait. Yeah. Um, Dan says, my wife and I are moving back to Chicago from the San Francisco Bay Area to be closer to family. For the last decade that I lived here, I drove a 20, 2007 Mazda Miata that I loved. Best California car, hands down. My wife and I are sharing a new Subaru Forester, which has been a fantastic kid hauler. In Chicago, I'm going to need to buy another car. I love sports cars, but I would like something reasonably inexpensive that has four doors. I have a family member that works for Subaru who can get me a great deal on a new WRX. It seems like it would be the perfect Midwest car, a blast to drive and great in the snow. What are your thoughts on the current generation? Only great in snow if you've got winter tires. Now, you know, True. most Absolutely. Subarus come with performance tires. Especially, the for, especially for stock. Well, yeah, and the STI is crazy performance tires. So I don't even bother with that one. But yeah. um, I would say go with the WRX, uh, WRX and get winter tires. My other thought was perhaps a Mini Cooper S. 
also with winter tires. Uh, my, my concern is that if you live somewhere where the temperature changes a lot, the roads get really awful and you get potholes and the cars with those firmer suspensions can be a real pain, a literal oh, yeah. pain to drive. So make sure when you get out there, I mean, these are not San Francisco smooth roads, uh, get out there and actually drive the, you know, test drive right. it first where you are. Yeah, I mean, the WRX is, is a super fun car. I mean, great handling, mm. uh, really nice power. Um, not the best shift, six-speed shifter ever, but pretty good. Um, and I think that if you're young at heart, you know, this person will love this car. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. so, uh, I mean, it's, it's one of those cars that it's a blast to drive every time you get in it, no matter if you're just going down to get some groceries or whatever. And so if, if that's what this person is looking for, I think it actually would be a good car. But definitely take it for a test drive. Mm -hmm. Make sure, because with potholes and city driving, it, it does have a pretty harsh ride. I feel a moment yeah. of silence, though, for giving up the Miata and the sunshine and all yeah. that. For uh. Oh, well, but family, but, family, but family. You go with the Deborah X, now you're getting yep. some real power. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. And you can rally around uh, Lakeshore Drive. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Different kind of fun. Next question comes from Tyler, who says, My parents and I have been huge fans of the Honda Ridgeline since its inception, but the new body style, which he calls uh, an SUV with a bed, mm -hmm. uh, is not appealing. Unfortunately, the other compact four-door trucks don't seem to be as good in nearly any category. Am I supposed to look past the ugliness and buy another Ridgeline? Help! What's this ugliness <laughs> talk? It's yeah, the first I generation. I don't get that. It's the first generation Ridgeline that was kind of good. I had so many yeah. people come to me that with the first generation Ridgeline said, I, I can't get past the styling that... You know that the, the way the, the bed tapers yeah, down and all that strange. stuff, and I think Honda heard that criticism, yeah. redesigned they the made it a little more. It looks like yeah. a pickup truck right now. A little more rugged. Uh, I think it'd be nuts to to not buy a Ridgeline. I love this car. Uh, I think it does everything really, really well. It's reasonably fuel efficient. Did well in Consumer Reports testing, and it's like one of those cars. Like when you ever think, okay, when I when I whenever I leave the track, in other words, when I stop working here, I have to have a vehicle. The Ridgeline is one of those vehicles that would do everything in my life. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, got that trunk in the back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know when we uh, were doing our track testing with the car with the the you know Ridgeline that we had here that we tested. You'd be driving around doing the track handling, and you'd forget that you had a pickup bed behind you, right. you know, because it just felt like you know a Honda Pilot. You know? But the problem is, te gustibus non disputamus. If you don't like how it looks, it's just you know too bad. Sorry, it's, <laughs> there's no accounting for taste. Uh, Everyone's different. I think forgive everyone, my forgive I think my you should watch talking cars because you never know what's going to happen. I think, yeah. I think if you really <laughs> like the attributes of the Ridgeline in this case. Should just go. You're, with just, it. And hopefully, you're just dancing and, and, right yeah, over that and, little and bit. You're of just a, looking at the dashboard. You right. don't have to look at it. Other people have to look at it. Okay. So that's true. All right. That's get true. the get the get the ridge line. <laughs> get the ridge line. All right. Jay Walter left us a note. Uh, I have always followed the manufacturer's driving instructions in the manual concerning the break-in period. In your opinion, how important is the break-in period for new cars? And do you think that owners who ignore the manufacturer's instructions are shortening the life of their vehicle or are adding repair problems down the road? My latest new vehicle had a break-in period of 1,200 miles. And that's why you always read the manual. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's kind of the that that's kind of the stock answer. It's like sort of boring, but uh, generally, uh, you read the owner's manual. Most owner's manuals say vary the speed. In other words, don't go on buy a car and then go on an 800 mile road trip and keep it on cruise control the whole time. Mm. Uh, mix it up a little bit. I mean, we break in our cars before we start testing them, right? right. Yeah. Absolutely. We break them in for 2000 miles. So we go beyond uh, most uh, break in periods because we're doing more than just breaking in the drivetrain. We're, we're trying to, you know, in a sense, bed in the brakes, uh, get the tires scrubbed in and kind of have any kinks worked out of the car before we start our actual testing, make right. sure the car is, is totally up to snuff. But, you know, so, but the question is, 
are these people who say buy a car, a brand new car, and then just start, you know, um, hammering it all, hammering on it. And, um, you know, the problem is you won't know probably what damage they've done until many years down so the road. It's, it's so it's hard to use it. Just yeah, drive the, the bottom car. line is yeah. don't abuse it. I'd go and, easy. Yeah. And if you're buying a used car from someone that you think maybe did abuse it, don't buy it. Yeah. yeah. Steve D, what's up with these three-spoke, what's the deal with these three-spoke the steering deal? wheels? Uh, the last three cars I've purchased, as well as new cars I've test-driven, have all had three-spoke steering wheels. Is this simply a design's choice, or are they mandated by federal safety regulations to encourage nine-and-three hand positioning? My commute's about 95% interstate driving during uh, off-peak traffic hours, and it drives me crazy to be not be able to cruise along with one hand at six o'clock for a more comfortable highway commute. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not mandated, no, number one. No. Uh, but number two, when we were talking about this question yesterday, Mike said, you know, back in the day, the three-point the three point steering wheels, everyone was the sportiest, the coolest, yeah. and stuff like but that. But now so many cars do have the three-spoke. And, uh, you, know, you know, hey, maybe they're trying to save money, right? Uh, three-spokes cost less than four-spokes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the, so it's definitely not mandated. But the bigger issue is why is this person... Uh, I don't like the idea of him going down the road, you know, I guess holding the steering wheel like this or like this. And besides, I mean, you want both hands on the wheel at nine and three, and you definitely don't want your hand down here at the sixth position, just, you know, cruising along. It's, yeah. it's unsafe. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Wolfgang has a question. I'm a longtime CR member, and I love the podcast. Thank you. I know that you like good infotainment systems, and when manufacturers take steps to reduce distracted driving, we do. But I've never heard you mention or promote the heads-up display available on several top-end models. Why not? I have one of my two, 2013 BMW 335 and I love it, and it definitely helps keep my keeps my eyes on the road. Well, I think part of the answer to that question lies in the fact high-end, that the cars that we purchase tend to be the ones that are the most often purchased uh, trims of cars. Mm-hmm. And heads-up dis- displays for years were sort of limited to the top option. But we have driven cars with it. Absolutely, and we love them. And, yeah. and uh, you know, if you look deeper in you know, our, our road tests on CR.org, uh, you will see that if we if the car has a head-up display, we always talk about it somewhere in the road test, like the Cadillac CT6. Yeah, and yeah. even if it's if it's optional, uh, we'll quite often mention at least that it's optional, or if we used it in a rented version. Uh, and we're big fans of it. You know, we'll talk about how you know is it is it large, is it color display, you know, how many different things does it have up there, and and they are great because. You know, you've got a display up there. Uh, Once you get used to it, you really, it's not distracting at all. And your eyes are up where you want them. You want them looking down the road instead of looking over here or looking even here. That's perfect. (laughs) Using hand signals. Yeah. Yeah, My my only issue with head-up display is sometimes I can't figure out how to adjust it. Yeah, you, you know, might you, not even know the car you might has want it, it higher or lower, <laughs> or to the right, or to the left, or, or, or adjust the brightness. And if multiple people use the car, sometimes right. it's because we yeah. have to share cars here. Yeah, so, I uh, mean, you know, if you owned the car, you would know where that right. was. But even then, I would still mm-hmm. want it much easier because you know, there's different times in the day. You 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 know, you yeah. want a different seat position, and right. you, you want to be able to easily adjust that thing. Either way, Wolfgang, we we should write about it more. Thanks for the article idea. We'll in our pitch meeting, we'll bring it up. Maybe sure. we'll yeah, that saved us some work. That's great. Uh, Jared says, hey. Talking cars. My wife and I are newly married. We're university students. We own a 2004 Volkswagen Jetta wagon with over 140,000 miles. We're starting to look for a used car to replace it. Our budget is between $8,000 and $12,000, and we want something reliable, sporty, and either a hatch or a wagon. If it's a manual, that's also a plus. Thanks. Hashtag save the manuals. I love that they want a manual. Absolutely. I think that's so cool. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going kind of back to my tried and true. I'm going back to the Acura TSX wagon. It's not manual, but oh, yeah. it's pretty reliable. It's got lots of space inside. If you insist on a manual, I would go for a used Honda Fit because that gets you the hatchback, sporty, kind of fun. And um, that's, you know, that's really where I'm, where I'm going with that one. And uh, the, the TSX wagon might be outside okay. of their, yeah. their right. price range. I'm going to say Mazda 3 uh, yes. with a hatch. 2012 to 2015. Yeah, yeah. Well, although just check to make sure because some of them don't have all the safety features. There, Some of them are a little optional then. So keep an eye out on yeah. that. What do you think? Well, I would say, yeah, 2012 to 2015 Mazda 3 hatchback. Uh, manuals are readily available with those cars, and they've been really reliable, much mm. above average uh, reliability for a long time. So, I mean, that's a great little car, and it's pretty fun to drive. Right. That's awesome. Good yeah. luck. Have fun. All right, last question. Hi, Talking Cars. Can we do an episode on why the historically reliable Toyota Tacoma is so sh uh, so shoddy now? Well, we're not going to do a whole episode, but we're going to answer minutes? your nice question. Idea. Yeah, maybe less yeah. than that. Okay. Uh, what's up? Why does it? Why does this car that used to have truck that had this sort of real rock solid reliability rating? Why does it maybe not do so well anymore? What do we got? Got it, got a redesign, and uh, after that, our surveys are showing that there's some issues with the transmission and the drive system. So, so basically, owners are telling us. Yep, that's that's ah. not good. Um, that hurts the reputation. Although it doesn't seem like it's it's dampening anyone anyone's enthusiasm for this truck. I think it mm. sells really well for Toyota. Yeah. Uh, that being said, the shoddy part. Shoddy is a little strong. It's well, yeah. Shoddy. But the driving yeah. position, right? Well, you know, this is was this was supposed to be a completely redesigned truck, and of course, it's really not. It still drives pretty much like the old truck. Right. Uh, has the you know odd driving position where you it's kind of up high, you get in, but then the roof's really low, and and you know it's not that comfortable inside, and the interior feels a little bit old. It's noisy. It's stiff yeah. riding. So, so yeah. back to the yeah. ridge line. Right? Exactly. Back to the ridge, <laughs> line. To the ridge line. <laughs> yep. Cool. All right. Talking ridge lines, talking bikes, uh, talking cars at iCloud.com is where, is where you send your questions. We love your questions. Thank you for sending them in. We promise, uh, you know, keep watching, keep listening. We'll get to your questions if we haven't answered it. Thanks so much. See you soon. <laughs>